Welcome back into the mental game where this week's guest is Bengals legend Anthony Munoz. You can't identify by the number or the uniform. You, you, have to, you have to identify who you are as a person. And I think that's what helped me through those tough times. And in this episode, Anthony opens up about his Hall of Fame career as one of the best linemen in NFL history. He opens up about what it was like to take the Bengals all the way to the Super Bowl, but also the heartbreaking loss in the Super Bowl, plus his own mental health battles and watching his family struggle with addiction. All of that and much, much more coming up in this interview. But if you know someone going through a difficult situation, sometimes just asking them how they are feeling can make a big, big difference. You know, we all struggle sometimes with our mental health and we have to be there to help each other with it. So if you need to learn more about tools or resources for someone going through crisis, visit the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation website at ohiospf.org. But now it is time for the latest episode here on The Mental Game with Anthony Munoz. Welcome back into The Mental Game. As you can see, sitting next to me, a very special guest, Bengals legend, NFL Hall of Famer, the best offensive lineman to ever play the game, Anthony Munoz. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on The Mental Game. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate those kind words, and I'm looking forward to chatting here today. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. Obviously, me being a Cincinnati guy, (laughs) I've been a fan of yours, had a chance to interview you a couple times before. This will be fun to dive into your life, career, mental health, everything uh, that we can talk about here on the show. But the first thing I ask everyone is, what does mental health mean to them? And everyone's got a unique answer because everyone's mental health journey is different. I don't know if, if maybe there was a time in your life that maybe hit you that made you take better care of it or maybe it's something you've always been aware of and cognizant of but i'll ask you the same thing what does mental health mean to you well mental health to me it's not something i've always been aware of but i had a chance early in my life to to really deal with it Mm -hmm. and to see how i was going to deal with it and that was in college i mean i think you know everyone has different uh different things they deal with and mine was the injury factor you know going to a you know major school usc with all these plans uh, you know, playing, uh, you know, first of all, starting and playing in Rose Bowls and mm-hmm. national championships. Uh, and it was far from what I'd planned there, you know, three knee operations in four years. So I had to deal with that. Uh, I got married, so I'd been married two years during that time. Uh, and what I learned about mental health that has really helped me out, you know, as an adult and now as a, as a grandfather, is that uh, you can't do it alone. I mean, you have to acknowledge it. You have to uh, take advantage of the resources there, and a lot of times it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that was one of the things I learned quickly as a you know 19-year-old freshman. In, I'm sorry, uh, 17, 18-year-old freshman, and through my college career, is that going through those injuries, I had a, an amazing resource. Uh, you know, a lot of resources I took advantage of from the doctors, the the trainers, the physical therapists, my teammates. Not yep. isolating myself from my teammates. Uh, in sports, it's very easy when you get hurt, the team is preparing for a game and you just isolate yourself because, you yep. know, you're injured, they don't need you. And one of the things I did, in, uh, not because I knew about it, but I didn't isolate myself from my teammates. I stayed there as much as I could when they prepared during games. I was there all the time. Uh, so it's really not being isolated. And through the injuries, you know, my, my second injuries, I was married, my last two injuries, so my wife was very supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's something that, uh, you know, can become tough at times. You want to just kind of isolate and, and pull away. But uh, mental health to me is use those around you to, to help you get through the certain situations. 
Uh, that's, a, that's an amazing yeah. answer to that question. Yeah. Um, diving back into your early life, your family, yeah. you grew up in California. Your mom was working really, really hard yeah. to support you and your siblings. What did you take away from how you grew up and watching your mother work yeah. so hard that, that kind of just set the bar for you with, with your work? Yeah. Well, so first of all, you, yeah, you mentioned mom. She worked two, three jobs. I mean, they're not easy jobs. They were out in the fields picking grapes, uh, at an egg ranch packing eggs, uh, ironing clothes for teachers, cleaning house for the couple that owned the egg ranch. So, you know, raising five kids uh, by herself. And, of course, she was one of nine, so there was – there was a lot of relatives around, but the, the two things I learned from her, the first thing, she didn't have to sit us down and say, okay, guys, this is what work ethic's all about. All we had to do was watch her walk to work at 6.37 in the morning, cross the railroad tracks, and come back at 4, 4.30, and then fix dinner. That we learned. That's what it means to have work ethic. I mean, you know, it was one of those things that she always provided for us. If it was just one present at Christmas, we had a present. We had a Christmas tree. She made sure of that. The second thing she did teach us was responsibility. Uh, athletics uh, came early in my life, and I loved sports. But during the school year, in order to get out and play in Southern California, you can play baseball year-round. Right. And baseball was my first love. During the school year, if I wanted to go play any kind of sport after school, do your homework first. Responsibility. Do what you have to get done first. Then you can enjoy the athletics. During the summer, I mean, you know, you hear the phrase, a good day for two. For me, it was a good day for three because, you know, we'd go early in the morning and play yeah. all day long baseball games but before i would leave i we had to do our chores around the house i'm not talking just dust the furniture we had to wash clothes we had to iron clothes we had to wash dishes we had to clean the house we had the lawn to so we had some you know at a young age we learned to cook we learned to do all the necessities because mom was working and so those two things work ethic and responsibility i can look at what i went through through you know as a kid high school then what we talked mm -hmm. about in college and then even my professional career and even now Work ethic and responsibility, getting it done and hard work. And that's what I learned. And, and I'm thankful for that. Your mom working so hard to provide for herself, your family, you saw that and you like just in your blood were like, all right, I have to do, yeah. do this, follow her lead. But on the mental health side of things, did you ever see her struggle with with her own mental health? Or was that something she hid from you if she was? Or did she just put her head down and do what she had to do? I think now that I look back, she hit it pretty well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the fact that she had to raise five kids. Then at a young age, she got rheumatoid arthritis, never complained, uh, never really complained or seeked help. I mean, she just like she just put her head down and grinded mm -hmm. it out and get, got it done. And, yeah, so it was something that she never let us see that, uh, you know, she was hurting or she yeah. never complained. Uh, we just did what she asked us to do. If she, we didn't do when she asked us, we did when she told us to do it. <laughs> but yeah, she, she, I mean, she was phenomenal as far as keeping things from us. How close, um, were you and your siblings growing up and did you all play sports yeah. together after yeah. school? And how, how yeah. did that go? Because, you know, I have one brother, but I know having a big family like that, yeah. there can be some, there can be some fighting, <laughs> there can be some tussles, but it seems like you and your family were pretty close. You know, we're close, but you know, we had our times. I mean, yeah. we, you know, I was the middle of five, two older brothers, two younger sisters. I was the middle of five. Uh, my two older brothers, one's two, was two years older than me. That's the one we lost and had one that was eight years older than me. So, Four of us were pretty much right in that same age range, but then we had a brother that was, you know, in high school when I was still pretty young, out of the house. Um, yeah, we, we had our uh, tussles. I mean, you know, up until I became a freshman and I grew about a foot 
taller than both of them. <laughs> they uh, they didn't they didn't mess with me physically. They they pretty much had their way with me physically. Yeah. But they were great examples uh, with you know with athletics. I mean, they took me under their wing at a young age, and that's why baseball was my first love. Both brothers played baseball, very competitive, and I just jumped in with them at a very young age and, and start. They taught me not only the game, but I'll never forget my oldest brother, who's eight years older than me. And little did I know that he was teaching humility. I mean, you talk about talk about my mom's responsibility mm -hmm. and work ethic. I'll never forget when I started playing baseball and my older brother saw that I was talent. I had a lot of talent in baseball. One of the first things he said, he goes, you don't have to talk about how good you are. If you're good enough, people will talk about you. And to me, that was humility. Mm -hmm. Go after it, get it done, and you don't have to say anything. And yeah. that carried over through high school, college, the pros, and even now. I mean, it's like, you know, you just get it done. If people think you're good enough for doing it, they'll let you know. But you don't have to, you know, blow your own horn. You don't have to, you know, pat yourself on the back. You just get it done. If it's good enough, people will recognize that. That's a great message from your brother. I'll go ahead and tell you that you're pretty good at, <laughs> at football. It seems like it with baseball, too, obviously. You go to USC. Yeah. It's a dream for you yeah. to play at a school that I'm sure you idolized yeah. growing up. Baseball was your first love, and so a big part of you committing there was the yeah. fact that you could play yeah. baseball and football, right? You're right. Uh, up until like my junior in high school, I was still thinking baseball, baseball, baseball. During the season, I had scouts at my games, but once I signed at USC, that pretty much eliminated all of that because you know, I was going, you know, going to school there and play football. But USC, you're right, from a young age, I mean, growing up 40 miles from the campus, uh, watching them you know, play football, the big white horse you know, going around the track, but then I heard about their baseball program. And the crazy thing about it is, you know, in Westwood with John Wooden winning all those national championships yeah. in basketball, that was what you saw. That's what. But at the same time, USC had Rod Dato, a baseball coach, that was winning just as many national championships yeah. in, on, in the baseball diamond. So, man, when I found that out, I said, I got to go there and play football and baseball. And a lot of schools found that out when they recruited me, and that was a recruiting pitch. But I knew it wasn't a recruiting pitch for USC. They had a track record of letting guys do that. If yeah. you're a football guy and good enough to play baseball, come on, play baseball. So I knew that. So that was the, uh, the arrangement when I decided to sign and go to school and play football there. Coach Dato said, you can play football or baseball. So I did that. Um, so, you know. Back then, Wooden was winning, you know, nine, ten national championships, and Rod Dato had about the same, you yeah. know, ten, eleven national championships. I mean, and, you know, it's funny you mention that because my recruiting trip to USC, you know, you go in for the weekend, Friday night to Sunday night, and it's all football, and they show you around. I went in Friday night, spent time with the football people, but Saturday morning, in fact, I was just with my good friend out in California, uh, five couples that uh, we all were freshman football yeah. players, linemen. We celebrated my wife's birthday not long ago, and one of the other linemen and I were baseball guys. And the story I'm going to share with you, he sent me a picture. Saturday morning after Friday, we were on the bench at Dado Field. It was a USC alumni game against the Major League All-Star team. So I'm sitting on the bench. Alan Pugh and I are sitting. There's Tom Seaver. There's Freddie Lynn. There's Rich Dower, there's Don Buford, and there's all these major, and we're sitting there going, guys, remember, this is a football trip. <laughs> yeah. And so we oh did that. God. Then after that game, we did all football, you know, dinner with the football guys. Then Sunday morning, we're back with the baseball team because the tradition was the USC varsity team would play the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium in an oh. exhibition game, and then <laughs> the Dodgers would go to Vero Beach for spring practice. And so... That next morning, Allen and I are sitting on the bench in Dodger Stadium with the USC varsity oh, team, and they're playing the Dodgers. I mean, you think about the Dodgers. I don't know if you're old yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. 
in the 70s, say Russell Lopes, Garvey, Yeager, you know, Don yeah, Sutton. Dynasty. I mean, it's so we're sitting on the bench in Lasorda and, and, and then the rest of the day it was football. So, yeah, baseball was still very big. Uh, I wish I could have played more. wish I could have played more football there, too. Yeah. But, you know, it all worked out uh, in the long run, but it was, it was tough at that time. Your time at USC well, was up and down with football. You mentioned yeah. you, you wish you could have played more. Yeah. You had, I think, three surgeries. Yeah. Um, both like on your knees, on your legs, uh, two on my right knee, one on my left knee. And so yeah. going through those injuries that, I mean, that's mental health 101 yeah. when it comes to athletes, yeah. how did you get through your time there and not quit and give up on the game when you are going through yeah. those injuries on the field? Well, I think again, getting back to what I learned, the work ethic is, uh, you know, at USC, I learned how to compete. I mean, you get there mm -hmm. as a fresh, I got there as a freshman parade, all American, all this, there's 30 parade, all American, right. you know, my first day of practice, I'm lining up against a two time all American who that year was a senior. He's the number five pick in the draft. So I learned how to compete. Um, I learned how to work extremely hard. And I think from what mom taught us and then going to USC, learning to compete and, and knowing what they expected from you there, mm -hmm. I really believe that helped me through the, the knee operations. My freshman year, nine games in the season. Mm -hmm. My junior year, seven games in the season. My senior year, second time we had the ball, first game of the season. <sighs> my sophomore year, I was healthy. I played the entire season. But uh, – you know, because my freshman year, you're a freshman, you're young, you're playing a lot, but then, you know, you're 18 years old, you have sort of, you rehab. Sophomore year, you're healthy, you're starting, you know, you play baseball that year, you win a national championship in baseball. And then my junior year, we're ranked number one in football. I'm starting seven games in the season. You know, we have a Heisman Trophy winner, we win a national championship, but I only play seven games. Then my senior year, coming off the national championship game, we're ranked number one again. I mean, we're loaded. Our team is loaded. Yeah. And for second time we had the football, this time my left leg, I missed the entire season. Uh, and you know, one of the things you, or a couple things you uh, go to USC for, I did as a football player. You play UCLA, you play Notre Dame, and you play in a Rose Bowl. Yep. So after getting hurt that third time my senior year, we had played in two Rose Bowls. I hadn't played in one. We had three Notre Dame games. I played in one. Three UCLA games, I played in one. So I missed every Rose So I was determined after that third knee operation and it kicked in. I, you know, a lot of people thought I was nuts uh, because, again, let's get back to the mental health, the support I had. Yeah. I knew the doctor fixed it. So now it's my job to utilize the trainers mm -hmm. to help me rehab, the strength coach to get my strength back. And s surgery in September, December, I started practicing for the Rose Bowl after having that knee operation. My wife was amazing, very supportive, but I still think they thought I was a little nuts, <laughs> you know, because I was like in a cast. Back then, you had a cast on for a while. Yeah. I get out of the hospital, I'm jumping rope with one leg, you know. As soon as I get the cast on, I mean, I'm riding a bicycle, I'm lifting. And so as soon as Rose Bowl practice started, I went out and started practicing. I had to talk the coach into mm -hmm. it. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go for it. You know, he, he was concerned. Yeah. Third knee operation, four years. I said, uh, you know, I want to play in this. Because all the guys I'd come into school with, we were all leaving. And I yeah. played in the Rose Bowl with them. And so I finally convinced him. He let me practice. I played in the entire game. But again, getting back to it. I'm not going to say it was easy. Because there was times, my schedule was basically, back, back then the backpacks weren't real, you know, in. But I yeah. had a backpack, crutches. I'd go to class. I'd go to rehab. I'd strength train. Then I'd go back to my apartment, do some homework. And I'd. You know, I'd have to say I shed some tears. I, you know, Didi and I'd sit there and I, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. So it was tough. I'm not going to mm -hmm. say that, you know, work out, school, man. I was 
up every time, but it was tough, but you just, you learned how to fight through it. And you learn, mm -hmm. I had a ton of friends, you know, I, I got involved in Bible study my, my sophomore year. So again, resources, yep. all these guys that I could meet with, you know, there was about six of us that were married at that time. So we had six couples that we could meet with and just talk through things. You know, yep. it wasn't like Didi and I were isolated and just, no, we can handle this alone. We knew, I tell people, I didn't know a whole lot then. I don't know a whole lot more now, but I knew that we had to be with people. We couldn't be isolated. So just all the people, all the resources that I can look back and say, man, thank you for being there. Mm -hmm. And again, it wasn't like, hey, I know I got to do this. I, it was just in here, I knew I had to yep. do it. Up here, I didn't, you know, I didn't have all the knowledge of what you had to do here. Yeah. It was just here knowing that I needed people around me. It's super powerful to hear you talk about that yeah. story and working hard to those goals that you have in your head, playing in the Rose Bowl, getting to do yeah. that, but also all that hard work through all the injuries, through those yeah. tears, those tough nights. You get the call from the Cincinnati Bengals oh, to uh, to come here and play for a team that um, I don't think your wife even knew where Cincinnati was. <laughs> yeah. um, Neither one of us did. Yeah, and so you get that call, but how, how big of a dream come true was that for you to get drafted? To the well, Bengals? it was huge because, you know, even though I played in that Rose Bowl, I mean— Everybody's saying, well, what a great way to end a football career. Now, go go see what you're going to do in your real life, real yeah. life work, you know, because you're not going to get a chance to play in the yeah. NFL. Yeah, three knee operations. Nobody's going to take a chance in you. But after that Rose Bowl for four months, going to class, and it's kind of the same thing, class, I wanted to finish up, and then going and working out, just busting. You know, the guys, the strength coaches that got me back, I just stayed there. Me and my buddy stayed there and just mm -hmm. busted it. I said – you know, if I can just sign as a free agent, I just want a chance to go to an NFL camp to see if I can compete on that level. Uh, little did I know that the Bengals with the third pick in the draft would call me. And I tell you what, that morning when Didi and I got that call in our one-bedroom apartment draft day when, you know, all the experts said, man, you, you know, you're not going to play anymore. But we just kept busting. I just said, if I don't get a chance, it's not going to be because I'm not physically ready. Because, I mean, I just, you know, you talk about weight training and getting ready. And when the Bengals called, man, secretary said, Anthony, can you hold the Cincinnati Bengals? And I did this with the phone. I looked at Dean and I went, it's the Bengals. And we all knew they were the third pick of the draft. So the coach gets on, McNally, they just hired him, says, Anthony, you're a man. We'll talk later. I hung up. Man, this big guy just started weeping. I composed myself and I said, Didi, we're going to the Cincinnati Bengals. And we both then pause and go, we're Cincinnati. <laughs> I did know one thing. Being a big baseball fan, I watched Saturday morning baseball all the mm -hmm. time. I knew that the Bengals played right on the river. Because yep. I used to watch the Big Red Machine play their, their games at Riverfront Stadium. But we had to pull out a map and kind of check it out. And, uh, of course, you know, 43 years here in Cincinnati, we know where Cincinnati is now. But, yeah, that call was – I mean, that was a life changer. Mm -hmm. I mean, little did I know that, uh, you know, those four years at SC, what I went through and my support – group my friends my i mean just everybody that helped out and especially Didi and my faith that uh we'd be sitting in cincinnati and playing 13 years for the Bengals. you get that dream call and then you do have a really dream come true career i know it's going to eat at you like any other athlete you, you want to win that championship yeah. but you got to play in two super bowls yeah. you played with some amazing guys including two great quarter yeah. quarterbacks and, and kenny anderson and, and boomer esiason yeah. When you look at your Bengals career, what do you love the most about it? What do you take away the most yeah. from that experience? So first of all, when I see videos at my age and I think I still pinch myself, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. you, know hey, you played 13 years of the bank and you mentioned all that. I mean, you mentioned the games, the guys. I think the one thing I take away from 13 years, 
you mentioned a couple of them, Kenny Anderson, Boomer Sison, the relationships. I mean, we've been here forever, and the number of guys that I played with that are still in Cincinnati that we still have amazing relationships with. Mm-hmm. We help each other out with our foundations. We, you know, we try to get together. We see each other a lot. So I'd have to say that's probably the first thing. And knowing that there's probably at least a dozen of us that are from the L.A. area uh, that still live here after retiring, but it's the relationships. And then not only the guys you play with, but after you retire, the guys you compete against, mm-hmm. uh, those relationships, because you know you respect each other like crazy because of what we went through. You might not have liked them when you were playing against them, yeah. but after the fact, you retire and you get to see them a lot, you respect them and those relationships. So I'd have to say the relationships that, that continue to last for years and years and years. You've mentioned relationships a lot with the word and also yeah. throughout talking about mental health whether it's your mom your siblings your teammates coaches strength trainers everyone that's involved in your in your football and life journey in Cincinnati with the Bengals through your NFL career you have you have the highs of going to Super Bowls you have the highs of of playing great and like I mentioned one of if not the best offensive linemen to ever play play the game what were the darkest moments and tough times that you had with your mental health through your NFL career you know what? Again, uh, you know, two of them you mentioned lost in Super Bowls. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, that was tough. I mean, because you work from off season. People think you just, but all off season, and you know. But then again, you know, when you understand that that's what you do, that's not who you are. That helps you get over that. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing I learned in college, going through the tough times with injuries, is that you can't identify by the number or the uniform. You, you, have to, you have to identify who you are as a person. And I think that's what helped me through those tough times. And even injuries in, in the pros, which, you know, I didn't miss a lot of games during the season, but I had surgeries after the season. Yeah. You know, those are the, the dark times. You know, you start to get close to 30 and you're rehabbing and you wonder, you know, can I get back and play? I'm getting close to 30 years old now you know, <laughs> playing this young game. So those, I guess, are the times uh, that happen. And then, of course, living in Cincinnati – and my whole family's in California, you start losing some relatives. And those, those are very, I'd say those are tough times. You know, there's several that we paid, you know, for their funerals, drive-by yeah. shooting, losing cousins and stuff. And uh, so th- during my playing days were probably the, the relatives you lose when you're here, you know, 2,600 miles away. And, you, you know, you have to deal with that long distance. I, I have to say that's probably one of them too. But, you know, same thing, injuries, mm-hmm. um, you know, through, you know, when you're playing and, you uh, so I'd probably say that's the physical um, mental health probably been the majority of my life. Yeah. Through, you know, growing up playing and stuff. Did you, you know. did you deal with uh, depression, anxiety through those injuries, through losing relatives? Yeah. Uh, and just how did you get over those moments? Yeah. Was therapy ever an option yeah. for you back then? You know what? It, if I had to have it, I wouldn't hesitate. But I've never been one that has dealt with depression or anxiety. Um, that's just... I'm just thankful that God wired me and I didn't really, yeah. you know, even going through all that, um, you know, with me, the way I dealt with things is go work out. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd go work out. Yeah. I'd go do, and that helped me. That would, you know, uh, so if I didn't have that, maybe anxiety, depression might've been an option for me. But even now at my age, if I'm dealing with maybe feeling sick or something, I just go work out for an hour or two hours yeah. and it kind of relieves things. Then I can, I can deal with things and uh, it clears my mind. I'm ready to go. It's a healthy coping mechanism. Yeah. It's what I tell yeah. people all the time with mental health. 
just do something that makes you happy yeah. that, that that can get you going in the right direction yeah. obviously that's a yeah. big key for you off camera you you just talked about um your family and yeah. friends and losing people that you love off camera before the interview we mentioned your brother yeah. and, and things that he had maybe struggled with with yeah. addiction seeing that what was that like for you how, how were you able to to try to help him and what were yeah. the biggest struggles yeah. with his addiction you know we try to we try to fix things. I think a lot of times when you're in a position to fix that, and you learn you can't fix things for other people. Mm -hmm. You can help. You can be resources. Uh, my brother was two years older than I was, so he was a. We were in high school together. Um, I was a sophomore in high school. He was a senior. I mean, he was pretty popular in high school, mm -hmm. and I was kind of a quiet, you know, doing my thing and sports yeah. and with my friends. Uh, and one Friday night, we roomed together in the. We had three rooms in the house, and we roomed together in the back bedroom and. Friday night, I was home with my two sisters, my mom watching, you know, the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family, and and he was back in the back with a friend getting ready to go out as a senior in high school, and they came up, and I'm on the ground, he started wrestling with me, and all of a sudden, he's laying in my arms, and he's turning purple. Uh, thank God we had a, a hospital, uh, you know, two, three blocks from our house. Uh, I mean, I was a big kid at that time, I was about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and I was able to get him and, and put him in the car, and we took him right to the hospital. We didn't call 911. And his friend allowed, uh, uh, gave the medical staff the information they needed, so they revived him. Uh, he made it. Uh, come to find out, he had OD'd on heroin that night, um, and so he had an addiction problem for a long time. Uh, the last 20, 25 years of his life, he lived in Houston. I had a chance several times to hang out with him and uh, and really uh, mend the relationship. Uh, you know. Uh, he had really blamed a lot of things on me, the decisions he was making, and, but we had a chance to really come together. And um, But he had been married, and his wife would kind of tell us he still had some problems. They divorced, and he was uh, with the gal, and you know, we got word a couple years ago he had a massive heart attack. Uh, she ensured us that they were clean. I guess they met at a rehab place, and she said he had been clean for two, three years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he had had an addiction problem for years and years, and uh, for me, it was just talking and trying to, you know, to hear, to be, to listen. I guess that's the main thing is to be, yeah. a, a, you know, a listener for him and, and try to give any kind of advice and let him know that we're there to help. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, again, again, a long, long distance relationship, Cincinnati, Houston, Texas. Uh, didn't see him a whole lot occasionally. But uh, it was one of those things that you just have to be, a, you, know, sound, you know, being able to listen to him and let him share and um, let him know that we we love him and stuff. So it, it was very tough because, um, you know, he would say at times, "Yeah, I'm I'm fine," but when I talked to him, I knew he wasn't fine. So you know, I don't think he got help. He kind of hid it too. Mm -hmm. So that was tough for me having yeah. a, a sibling that was going through that. And again, not being able to fix things. We, you know, I learned a long time we can't fix things. We can try to be a, a a source and try to you know help out but we can't fix things thank you for sharing that because i know it can be tough and and for me personally i've lost three friends um from ods and one of them happened to one of my best friends in 2020 mm -hmm. couldn't have a funeral for him because of the pandemic and you try everything you can yeah. to, to help them go to rehab or to stop or to and unfortunately the thing with addiction is that person inside, just with mental health and addiction, anything in life, you have to look yeah. at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, I have to make this change yeah. um, or else there's a chance 
that you might not be here. You might not be able yeah. to, to win that battle with yeah. the addiction, with the depression, with the suicidal right. thoughts. Um, what, what would be, you know, your message maybe to somebody that has a sibling or a family member that's struggling with that to, to try to push them in the right direction? Cause I've been in that same shoes yeah. myself. I've, you know, I, I've struggled with alcoholism and I've just hit over eight months sober now. Awesome. And that's so excellent. thank you. Yeah. And, and, but, but it really does take a support system to try to make that change. Right. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, another, uh, you know, my, my wife had an older sister that left California, moved here. We lost her about 20 years ago to breast cancer, and she left a, a daughter here and, uh, and a granddaughter. Well, the granddaughter had a little baby, and uh, so my sister-in-law's granddaughter, um, man, it's been, it's been a few years, seven, eight years now, uh, we lost a niece to drug overdose. And again, we tried everything. As, as an aunt and uncle, we offered to pay for college. We offered, she said, I want to be a... a Go to culinary school. We offered to play culinary school, so we try to incentivize her to to to. But they have to make the decisions. You know, mm -hmm. people have to make decisions. We can try to assist, and what I would say, to siblings, just try to help out. Know that you can't fix it, but be there to support. Be there to listen, and uh, the main thing is just continue to let them know you don't condone, you don't agree with them, but you love them. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's you know, you love them, uh, you want the best for them. And that's really all I can say is that you have you have to just be there and encourage, try to encourage, try to help out. But no, again, I can't say that you can't fix it. You can't force someone mm -hmm. to do something. You can encourage them, but you can't, you know. So that's uh, we had that, you know. So with the, a niece here, the last seven eight years we had that. We tried to help out, and it just didn't happen. Yep, it's it's a tough battle for that person, yeah. for the family and friends. Yeah. Um, you have to try to get through it together and hope that they want to make that change in the mirror. Yeah. We got about five minutes, so I want to. Yeah try to flip the script a little bit and have, have some yeah. fun here. On, yeah. And those were very, very powerful words. And I think yeah. I do want to point out listening is so, so key. Yeah. And when I struggle with my suicidal thoughts, just having somebody to vent to my right. cousin, Zach, who's basically my brother, just him listening wow. helped, okay. helped keep me here. Have you noticed somebody in your life just not being themselves recently? Maybe you've seen them be more mad or sad or just not hang out around you, your family or friends as much. That person might be going through a mental health crisis and we have to be there to help each other. You've heard Anthony and I talk in this episode about my mental health struggles, about his brother's addiction struggles and how we had to be there for each other to get through those tough situations, struggling with depression, anxiety and addiction and you can find a bunch of training, resources, and many ways to become a suicide prevention advocate with the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation. You can find all the tools and resources you need for you or someone you love at ohiospf.org. Again, that is for the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation, ohiospf.org, so we can help each other with our mental health. Getting into the fun things uh, yeah. with the Bengals, I, I have to t ask you about yeah. what we're looking at now. You have a team that's has Joe Burrow, has all those offensive weapons. You being a lineman, I'm sure you've you've studied and watched the shuffling and the signings yeah. up front throughout the last couple of years. This team, this, when this episode is recorded, they're two and three, hopefully going to get the three and three before a bye. What are you seeing? What are you liking from this team? Well, you know, I guess it doesn't surprise me the way some teams start in today's game yeah. because 
quite frankly, they don't play preseason. Yeah. And maybe maybe they are good enough where they don't need preseason. But I don't think I think especially an offensive line, you need and they got some pretty good offensive yeah. line here. You need some action together. You bring in a new tackle, you Smith, you know, you move one tackle to the right side and then you get health back. So you have five guys and but you need to play some preseason. Not that you have to play a half, but you I think you need something live. So I see them getting better and better now. You know, yeah. You know, no injuries, but get better and better. And this team will get better and better. Joe's getting healthier. Uh, and I think the fact the way they started, it was just, you know, to me, in my humble, that was a couple of preseason games, you know. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, practice is one thing, but game situation is another. So, uh, you know, it'd be nice to, to be 3-3 three and three at the break, beat Seattle, and then I think they'd be in a good position. You know, I, last week against Arizona, the way Joe moved around, there was just such a big difference yep. uh, in his health. and. So I like what's going on defensively. I think we're still pretty strong. We have, you know, I think our defense is pretty good. So I like what I see. I've been excited the last couple of years with this football team and, and, and the moves that they've made. Zach, I love Zach and the assistants. I love what they're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, again, you know, we talked about Super Bowl earlier. I think you only have a, a certain window. Uh, yep. to, and I think they, they, they still have that window open. I think they still have the, even though they started out like they did, I think uh, this is a team that can turn things around. You're obviously still a fan of the Bengals. Yeah. You live here in Cincinnati. You watch. You support yeah. on and off the field. And I want to touch on this, too. Your foundation is we talk about listening and helping and yeah. and trying to guide, especially yeah. people that are younger than us, in the right direction yeah. and help them out the best yeah. we can. How impactful has it been to be a part of your foundation these last tw 20 years in Cincinnati? Yeah, 22 years. It's been phenomenal. Very thankful. Uh, you know, uh, it has my name on it, but it's not about me. It's about our team. And, you know, our, our staff, our volunteers, our interns, our board, and, of course, the, the community, the, the mm -hmm. amazing corporate partners we have. And to be able to impact the number of young people that this team has been able to I mean, to me, that's what motiva motivates me. That's what energizes me yep. now is being able to do that through our, you know, through our educational through, uh, programs, our, our scholarships and, and our mentoring through our leadership and through our character. And, and to see now these young men and women being productive uh, citizens in our community. You know, I'll go into some of the companies that have been partners forever and we see interns working there or, you know, scholarship kids working yeah. there or kids that have been to our camp. So. To me, that's what it's all about is uh, there are a lot of very, very talented young men and women that have some amazing gifts. They might need someone to put their arm around them and just say, hey, we believe in you. They might need a little assistance in continuing education with the scholarship, mm -hmm. or they may need to go away for a three-day camp and just you know, hear what it means to be a person of character. I might not look like you, but we got to work together. Yep. Respect each other. Respect yourself. And, you know, they come back and then all of a sudden they're sharing that message in their home, in their community, in their mm -hmm. schools. And to me, that's what we've been able to do for 22 years with the amazing team we put together. It, it is amazing yeah. and powerful, the work you yeah. do. So for, for me, thank you for doing that because seeing the way that you mentioned, yeah. you have kids that, that come in, you just need yeah. a little bit of guidance. Yeah. And it, it becomes a very empowering experience for both them and you. Last thing I want to ask you, advice. I usually ask for advice to the career that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm going to get specific here, but advice to that kid that maybe is dreaming of getting to college football, getting to the league, 
but is battling those injuries and just might be uh, a little down, what would, advice would you give to that person? Well, I think the thing I learned is make sure you don't, you're not tunnel vision and just focusing on one thing. That's why I do what I do with the foundation. It's to impact young men and women mentally, physically, and spiritually. I think you got to take care of everything, you know, the, the, the mental part of it. Make sure you, you, you're as good a student as you possibly Take advantage <laughs> of the education, the physical part. Just do something healthy all the time. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, spirituality is different for each one. But that's been, for 45 years, that's been the number one key for me. Mm -hmm. So what I would say is that you need to make sure that if it's a sport, that it's just not sport all the time. Yep. You know, one of the things I did, even when I was playing with the Bengals, I got my real estate license. I, I tried the building. I did several things, uh, you know, to make sure, even though, uh, you know, I knew that my primary go job was to, to play football. Yeah. To provide, I did that on the side just to see what there was there, what was out there after I retired. And, uh, you know, so I, I would say just focus on it, give it everything, but focus on your relationships, focus on your school, just focus on the other things that are just as important as how fast, how strong, you know, how well you can shoot, how yeah. well you can jump, how fast you can throw, you know, fastball or how well your curveball, how well you can hit. Um, that's the advice I would give. Well, Anthony, thank you so much right. uh, for your time. This has been an awesome conversation. Brandon, thank you. You're a Bengals legend, NFL Hall of Famer. You got some work to do. We need to get you out of here so you can you can get your work. I got a job now. You know, I can't just relax. <laughs> All right, we'll let you get to it. We'll see everybody right, right back you. here next week on the Mental right. Game. And that was an amazing conversation with Anthony. I can't thank him enough for really opening up about his Bengals career. You know, I'm a big Bengals fan, so it was a real honor to get to hear him talk about going to the Super Bowl, all of his amazing memories here in Cincinnati, and, of course, the incredible work he does with his foundation. Once again, a big thank you to Anthony Munoz. Coming up next week, right back here on The Mental Game, it is another surprise guest, and your one hint, a musician with songs all over the radio, that is your one hint, and we'll see you right back here next week on The Mental Game.